Good evening. I uh, just have shared with Reverend Murphy that he has just uh, done above and beyond in sharing with music, and uh, all of you have sang with the congregation, and Dr. Hermes, uh, of course, he's always at the top of his game. Amen. He... Uh, on Tuesday night, he was weaker with COVID, but I tell you, he preached great message, and he just continued to grow stronger and stronger. Your father used to stand and testify, and he would say, Brother Joe, as the outward man is growing weaker and weaker, the inward man is growing stronger and stronger, and... Uh, what a testimony. I mean, he just shared that testimony, and I tell you, he, he absolutely grew stronger and stronger to the very end. I, if we get uh, thinking about memories of him, and we uh, get a little emotional and whatever, but thank God for him. Tonight, we're going to be having uh, Reverend Steve Palmer come and share uh, with, our, with our missionary. We're just calling this a Missions Mighty Moment. And so come and join us. Thank you, Pastor Joe. It's my privilege to introduce to you Barb Thomas. Barb has been uh, two terms on the Texas-Mexican border and has recently sensed the Lord calling her to mission service again. She's just recently been appointed midterm volunteer in the area of member health. Is that correct, Barb? And she needs your prayer, and as she continues this, and we're going to let her share for a few minutes here. Good evening, everyone. It's nice to see you all. Oh, there's, there's chocolate up here. Is this for me? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm from Cornerstone Church in Plain City, and we're blessed to have Mark and Debbie Barth as our pastors and his wife. I love Pastor Mark. But tonight, I want to talk to you a little bit about Debbie. Debbie has a side job, and what she does is she takes tired, broken down, old furniture, and she fixes it up, she restores it, um, she refinishes it so that it has use again. And it can be repurposed. She does a great job. As a matter of fact, I have one of her pieces in my kitchen, and it provides great storage for things that I needed to store. You know, God does this with us. He has repurposed me for new uses in his kingdom. As he said, I'm a former missionary. I am also a retired teacher. Um, I am now a missionary volunteer in mem member health. I work specifically in the Americas region. Um, I work closely with Greg and Teresa Leaf. Um, my role is threefold right now. Um, it is to minister to and support single women missionaries. 
I am a consultant for any missionaries who may have special needs kids. I can help them with education needs in that area. And I also minister with um, the other missionaries of Member Health during Renewal, which is a retreat for missionaries coming back from the field of service. And my role there is to help Teresa Leith cook. And let me tell you, we have a great time in the kitchen. It's lots of fun. Just as God repurposed Gideon from a farmer to a military leader, Esther from a queen to the rescuer of her people, and Nehemiah from a cupbearer to a construction manager, he can and will repurpose us if we're listening and responsive to his call. What is God asking you to do? You know, perhaps he wants you to witness to that neighbor next door. Perhaps he wants you to witness to that cashier at the grocery store. Or perhaps he wants you to be a missionary or a missionary volunteer. You know, in God's kingdom, it is never too late. He can always repurpose us. Whatever he asks you to do, do it now, for the time is short. Jesus himself said, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Thank you and God bless you. Amen. The missionaries have a table there, and you should go and check it out. And uh, my missionary, me, and Brother Tom, we have a group. Jesus is alive and well, amen. Mm. Jesus is alive and well. Sing it with me. Jesus is alive and well. Tell everyone you see, tell them for me. Jesus is alive and well. He's sitting with the Heavenly Father, interceding for you and me. Tell everyone you see, tell them for me. Jesus is alive and well. When they nailed my Jesus to that old rugged cross, the devil danced around with glee. He thought he had the children of God and he would throw them in the deep fire sea. But on the third day, the stone was rolled away. The angel said, Mary, go and tell that the Son of God is risen. Hallelujah. Jesus is alive and well. Jesus is alive and well. Jesus is alive and well. Tell everyone you see, tell them for me. Jesus is alive and well. Uh, he's sitting with the Heavenly Father, interceding for you and me. Tell everyone you see, tell them for me. Jesus is alive and well. Now go tell the kings and the presidents men that the coming of the Lord is nigh. They better get their act together. He's going to split the eastern sky. Get the message out to the people. And let's tell them why there's time to tell. 
that the Son of God is coming. Hallelujah. Jesus is alive and well. Let's stand and sing. Jesus is alive and well. Put your hands together. Jesus is alive and well. Tell everyone you see, tell them for me. Jesus is alive and well. He's sitting with the Heavenly Father, interceding for you and me. Tell everyone you see, tell them for me, Jesus is alive and well. Jesus is alive and well. Amen. One more time. Jesus is alive and well. Jesus is alive and well. Tell everyone you see, tell them for me, Jesus is alive and well. He's sitting with the Heavenly Father, interceding for you and me. Tell everyone you see, tell them for me, Jesus is alive and well. that I serve a risen Savior he's in the world today I know that he is living whatever men may say I see his hand of mercy I hear his voice of cheer and just the time I need him he's always near he lives he lives Christ Jesus lives today he walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. Sing it. He lives within my heart in all the world. I see his loving care and though my heart grows weary I never will despair I know that he is leading through all the stormy blasts the day of his appearing will come at last he lives he lives Christ Jesus lives today he walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. Where does he live? He lives within my heart. Rejoice, rejoice, O Christian, lift up your voice and sing eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ the King, the hope of all who seek him, the help of all who find. None other is so loving, so good and kind. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. 
Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Be Because 
God so loved the world, let me say it with me, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that who believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. When I think of how he came, so far from glory came and dwelt among the lowly such as you and I to suffer shame and such disgrace on Mount Calvary he took 
took my place then I'd ask myself this question who am I who am I that a king would bleed and die for Who am I that he would pray Not my will but thine Lord The answer I may never know why he never loved me so that to an old rugged cross he'd go for who am I he
let's sing only Jesus. This is a song, a chorus that I taught people in uh, many camps. I think we need to sing it. It goes like this. Only Jesus, Lord to me. Only Jesus, Lord to me. I surrender. Steve Palmer is going to come and lead us in prayer, but uh, we have a number of prayer requests. First of all, uh, we want to pray with our ch for our children's workers, Scott and Tara, and then Becky and Ralph Hux, their grandson, I Isaiah Price. He is in the hospital at Children, and they definitely need a miracle in his health. And then uh, we also have uh, Linda Kozad, Susan Jones's sister. Uh, she has di she's diagnosed with COVID, and she has a lot of breathing is issues. So we need to pray for her. And then Beth and Tim Tabor, they're uh, on a sabbatical and they're traveling out west. But uh, we just need to pray for Beth and Tim. Uh, Randy William Nelson, Randy the third, need to pray for him. Also, Ivan Sheldon, he's in the hospital, I guess, in Olathe, Kansas, and uh, so we need to continue to pray. Would we, would you stand as we continue in a spirit of worship and prayer right now? Would you bow your heads with me, Father? We do come to you this evening with hearts of thanksgiving because of what you've done for us on Calvary. We praise you, we thank you, we worship you tonight, Jesus. We ask, Lord, as we bow for a couple moments and 
bring these requests to your throne that you would move in mighty ways. We know, God, that you can do exceeding and abundantly above all that we can ask or think. And we can ask pretty big and think pretty large, but, Father, you can do more than that. So we pray for little Isaiah that you would touch him, this little fellow, Lord, with COVID and what's going on in his heart and his life, Father, and we just pray for a physical touch right now. We ask God that you would touch him in such a way that the doctors shake their head and can't understand what happened. Why? So immediately it stopped him and he began to get better. Would you do that this evening? Lord, for these others that are traveling and others uh, with the physical requests, the physical needs, Lord, we pray that you would touch them. There's someone here this evening, Jesus, with an emotional item and emotional stress going on in their life. Would you would you address that? Father, one of the things that that is so hard for us to get our head around is that with all that's going on in this world, with, with nearly 8 billion people on planet Earth, you can put somehow put it on hold and, and are right here hearing our prayer at this moment and beginning the process of planning and preparing changing circumstances and situations so that your will would be done. And we ask you, Lord, that you would do that tonight. We pray, Father, as Dr. Hermes breaks the bread of life, that we would have listening ears. We'd have open spirits. We'd be able to say, just pour it on me, Jesus. Pour it on me. I want more of you. I want more of you than I've ever known, I've ever, ever even dreamed of. Lord, we want more of you. Just bless Dr. Hermes. Give him clarity of thought and clearness of speech. And Father, might he... Might he sense your unction like he has never before tonight for our service. We thank you, Lord, for the singing that's taking place and the worship that's taking place. And would you continue with us through the remainder of this service? We'll not fail to bow our unworthy heads and give you all the praise. For it's in the strong name of Jesus we ask. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Pastor Joe wanted me to share just a little bit with you about what's going on at Hedges. If you get the Advocate, you've probably read the article in, in this latest Advocate, and, and I'm not going to read it all to you again, but just let me say that when I was called there to, to pastor right at the beginning of COVID, and there was no one hardly coming, you know, we didn't have any face-to-face -face service for so long, and then when, when they did come back, they were wearing masks, and I couldn't, I couldn't place a name with a face, but, but finally we got through all that, and, and we just had a handful, and... and Several of us got, got together and started praying that the Lord would help us to make an impact. I don't know if you've been by Hedges, but it's a beautiful church. And everyone that goes by talks about how beautiful it is. And, and I'm, I, as I prayed to the Lord, I said, we don't want to be known as the beautiful church only. We want to be known as the church that loves people there. We want to be known as the church that ministers to people. Would you help us in some way to be able to expand our ministry and our influence? One shortly after that, we got a got a contact from someone that's involved in, in release time Bible ministries. It's a nationwide way that we can, we can go to a, a local school, pick up those kids with, of course, all the permission slips and all the, the, the uh, allowing of the, the superintendent and the principal, and they'll give us one period of, uh, in that school day, and we'll go pick those kids up. They're about two miles from our church bring them back and, and just love on them. We started with second graders this past spring and, and just loved on them. Some of those kids are church kids, but some of them didn't have any idea. Probably only the way they would hear the word God or Jesus was in a swear word. And we were able to love on those kids and just, just let them know that God loves them and we love them. And, and I don't know what it's done for the kids, but can I tell you, it has boosted our church. Our, our you know, we were mainly seniors there and we just, we've got a new zeal, a new excitement, a new thrill about how we can continue to, 
to touch second graders and this next school year is going to be third and fourth graders as well and just continue to, to love them for Jesus. Amen. Amen. We are going to wait on you at this time for the offering if the ushers would take their place and we'll turn the remainder of the service over to our song leader. Thank you. It's a joy to have my wife who just surprised me and came in. Julie, we just stand to wave at everybody. <laughs> this is Julie. Um, she's my buddy. Had a good friend who thought he'd gone too far and that God could never love him again. So I wrote him this song. What would it take? For God to say no, what would it take to let me go? What would it take for God to say no to his love? Where could I hide from his face? Where could I run from his grace? What would it take for God to say no to his love? He'd have to say no to Adam's race. He'd have to say no to Abraham's faith. He'd have to say no to his promised grace. He'd have to say no. He'd have to say no to the angel's voice. You never would have heard the shepherds rejoice. He'd have to say no to the son of his grace. He'd have to say no. He'd have to say no to 33 years. He'd have to say no to the blood and the tears. He'd have to say no to the old rugged cross. He'd have to say no. He'd have to say no, disciples and friends. He'd have to say no to coming again. He'd have to say no, he'd have to say no. He'd have to say no, but I like this, but he said yes. <laughs> he said yes. He said yes. He said yes. Yes, and the stone roll away. He said, yes, and his love's here to stay. He said, yes, there's no need to stray, cause he said yes. So I said yes as I fell on my knees. I said yes, now I can see. I said yes, and he set me free, cause he said yes. He said, yes, and the stone roll away. He said, yes, and his love's here to stay. He said, yes, there's no need to stray, cause he said, yes. So I said, yes, as I fell on my knees. I said, yes, now I can see. 
I said yes, and he set me free, cause he said yes. I said yes, and he set me free, cause he said yes. Amen. He said yes, and the stone rolled away. He said, yes, and his love's here to stay. He said, yes, there's no need to stray, because he said yes. So I said, yes, as I fell on my knees. I said, yes, now I can see. I said, yes, and he set me free. thank the Lord. He said yes. We do have some chocolate candy up here. I, I could use some of that right now. But anyway, I'm going to pass it by. But I might take it later. But anyway, it's good to see each of you here on this Friday night. I remember when I was pastoring, it was always frustrating to get to Friday night of a revival because that was always grocery night back then. Now, I don't know when grocery night or day is anymore, but anyway, uh, glad that you're here, and thank God for the wonderful presence of the Lord. And Julie, it's great to see you. She's an outstanding nurse, and uh, she's taking good care of her husband, and um, he's needed a lot of help along the way. But um, that was part of the problem when he was so desperately sick, was that she knew way too much, but God brought them through it. And thank the Lord for that. That, fright, that last night of the camp meeting that Mark referred to the other evening when God touched him, just this last spring, um, I was preaching at Faith Memorial Church on a Sunday morning in Lancaster. And um, at the close of the service, I was praying with a, a man who came forward for prayer. And a lady in the church that LMA had never seen before, didn't know, don't know who she was, might have been, she came up to LMA and she said, I was in that service that last Sunday night of camp meeting. And she said, I had my niece with me. My niece was a helpless drug addict and was totally destroying her life. And she was there that night. And when everybody went forward for prayer, she went forward. And she's one of those that we prayed for that night. This lady said to LMA, she was totally, instantly delivered from drug addiction. What they couldn't do at all of the places where she went, God did in a moment of time, and her life was saved. We serve a great God, and he's still at work and still working and moving in mighty and powerful ways, and only God knows what all happens in any service, and especially on that most unusual night. And I also remember that was the night that my good friend and brother in Christ, Jim Bowman, came up to me, and he said to me after he'd been prayed for, he was dying with cancer, and he said to me, I'd rather be holy 
than healthy. I thought it was one of the most profound statements a person could make when they're facing the grim reaper, when their bodies already turn yellow from cancer. I'd rather be holy than healthy. And so thank God for that tremendous witness, what God did. Now Jim's on the other side, celebrating with all the saints over there. And we one day will go to be with him. Last night when um, Mark was introducing one of his songs, he used the phrase carnal Christians. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. And I, it brought back a flood of memories as he told about how his father, who was a pastor, was deeply hurt by carnal Christians and how his brother was turned away from the Lord and it was decades later before he came to Christ. When I was a kid, teenager, growing up in New York, every year my mom and dad would load the six of us up into their car and we'd make the journey from New York to Mount of Praise camp meeting. And at Mount of Praise camp meeting as a teenager, I, I hate to confess this, but I was not a Christian. And it was there that I just met a whole lot of other preacher's sons that also were not Christians. That's when Pat Duncan and I became buddies. And Dale and Dave Kopik and John Wright, and the list goes on and on. I think the only preacher's kids that I knew at the Mount of Praise camp meeting back then that were Christians was Don and Jim Seymour. And they were different from everybody else. And they still are. God bless them. And, uh, but anyway, when we, sometimes we'd sit around and have these unusual conversations. These are a bunch of preacher's kids. They're all backslidden. And it wasn't long, almost every night, the conversation would go to the hypocrites, the carnal Christians in the church, and the amount of damage that they had done. And some of those guys, it literally took them decades before they ever got through all of that and came to Christ. One of them, Dale Kopik, who was an incredible athlete, it was only in the last few weeks of his life before he came to Christ. Thank God that he did before it was too late. And the reality is, there's a lot of carnality in our holiness churches. Don't like to admit that. You don't have to say amen if you don't want to. You don't even have to nod your head, but, but it's reality. And they have done a lot of damage and have hurt a lot of people. And I want to speak to you tonight with God's help about carnal Christians. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 8, and I want to begin reading at verse 6. Romans chapter 8, verse 6. If you're able, I'd ask you once again to stand for the reading of God's Word. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, these who are in the flesh cannot Please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. 
I want to read that first phrase in verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You may be seated, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Those words, carnal Christian, sound like a contradiction because Christians serve Christ while carnal persons serve self. But here's the problem. A born-again babe in Christ is in a very perilous condition. Why? Because they are still carnal. Paul addresses the believers at Corinth in this very manner. He refers to them as brethren, but he also refers to the fact that they were still carnal. And this is one of the reasons, ladies and gentlemen, it's absolutely imperative. It's absolutely imperative that every born-again believer should seek God's sanctifying grace because it is only through this deeper cleansing of the blood of Christ that we are delivered and set free from the carnal mind. So I want you to think with me for a moment about some of the characteristics of the carnal mind. Paul tells us in this passage that the carnal mind is enmity or it's hostile toward God. It is, in fact, an anti-God disposition. And here's the bad news. Every one of us were born with it. It's not an organ. It's a disposition, a condition, a disease that infects, contaminates, corrupts, and pollutes our humanity. It opposes God and seeks to please and satisfy the things of the flesh. It makes man the center of the universe instead of Almighty God. It resists a life of moral and spiritual purity. Your better judgment, your conscience, your religious training, the culture all say, don't do that. It's wrong. But this disposition within you says, don't tell me no. It resists being crucified with Christ and being fully surrendered to him. It's a selfish driving force within you that says, I want what I want, and I want it now. It says, it's my life, and I'm going to do it my way. It's characterized by self-centeredness, selfish desires, and selfish ambitions. And here's the bottom line. If it's left uncontrolled, unrestrained, unchecked, it will take the best of people right down to the animal level. The carnal person would be shocked to know what they are capable of doing. I will never forget the day while living in Marin, Indiana. We got up one morning and I picked up the morning newspaper and read the front page account of a little 13-year-old girl whose grandmother was responsible for her. And she was trying to bring some discipline and some guidance and direction into her life. And like a lot of 13-year-olds, the little girl, she didn't want guidance. She didn't want direction. She didn't want restraint. She had a boyfriend who was almost twice her age. He was a big, tall, strong, strapping young man. She paid him a few dollars to come into their house the night before and murder her grandmother. He comes into the house, 
strangles her grandmother to death. The little girl was waiting in the bedroom. And she came out of her room when the evil deed was done, stepped over the dead body of her grandmother, found her purse, took $13.30 out of her grandmother's purse, all the money that she had, and the two of them went and checked into a local hotel where they were arrested the following morning. Ladies and gentlemen, Marion, Indiana was in a state of shock. I know this stuff happens in New York and Chicago and Los Angeles and all around, but this is Marion, Indiana. You talk about a Bible belt? We have 70 churches in Grant County, and many of them, most of them, are evangelical churches, and a number of them are holiness churches. Marion, Indiana is the home of Indiana Wesleyan. It's also the home of Taylor University. And in our schools, our schools are filled with faculty members that are graduates of Indiana Wesleyan and Taylor University. It's a great place to raise kids because more than likely they're going to have a teacher that knows Christ and who can give them some guidance and direction in their life. And when that happened in that little town, people were in a state of shock Everybody was saying, what's happening in our country? What's happening in our nation? I can tell you what it was. It was the carnal mind, left unrestrained, unchecked, and un left without control. And every one of us were born with it. And if it's left uncontrolled in our life, it will indeed take the very best of us right down to the animal level. It rebels against God's laws and the boundaries that God's established in our culture to prevent us from obliterating ourselves because we would if there wasn't any way to restrain us. I'm talking about parents, grandparents, the church, the laws of the land. But here's the bottom line for the unsaved person. If you thought you could do it and get away with it and nobody would see you, and nobody would know about it, more than likely, you would do it. Sigmund Freud was a behavioral psychologist. He was an agnostic at best, but he said some very interesting things about the nature of man. You, you might remember studying this when you were in high school or in college. This is what Sigmund Freud, a behavioral psychologist, said about man. He said, there's something in man that he called our id, I-D. He said, you're born with it. It's not matter. It's not an organ. It's not a chromosome that can be removed through genetic manipulation. He said, it's so powerful. It's like a volcano. If you cap it, it will explode and blow up the whole mountain. He went on to say there's a life and death struggle within, within mankind. He said it's unconscious in that most people don't even know that they have it. But he said everybody is born with it. He also called it our superego. He said this id says nobody tells me no. My better judgment tells me no, but my id tells me nobody tells me no. He said, something within you says, don't do that. You'll hurt your wife. You'll hurt your family. 
But this wild driving force within you says, I want what I want, when I want it, like I want it, and nobody tells me no. Now, I find that extremely interesting because the humanity, the human nature that Sigmund Freud called our id is a description of the very thing that the Apostle Paul called our carnal mind. So think with me for a moment about the consequences of being carnally minded. If you're unsaved, you're in deep bondage to the carnal mind. If you've been born again but are not yet sanctified, you are what Paul calls a carnal Christian or a babe in Christ. Now here's the good news about a babe in Christ, a born-again believer. The Holy Spirit is with you. It's the Spirit of the Lord that's with you that helps you to resist and suppress this carnal disposition. The Spirit of God within you enables you to begin to live a Christian life. But it won't be long until you'll begin to realize that this carnal disposition is still within you and it is resisting the Spirit of Christ within you. There's something I can tell you about every born-again believer. There is an enormous warfare going on in the heart of every born-again believer. It is indeed the Spirit of God trying to help you to rise above and overcome and be victorious over the carnal mind. Because the carnal mind remains in the heart of the born-again believer. And if it isn't cleansed, it produces spiritual dwarfs. You will remain a babe in Christ when by now you ought to be a full-grown, strong, mature Christian. It'll keep you on milk when you ought to be on meat. Now, what is any more exciting than the birth of a brand-new baby? I was sitting at my desk Marion, Indiana, one day, and my telephone rings, and it's my oldest grand, my oldest daughter's husband. And he hardly ever calls me, but he called me. He said, You need to know that Chris, that's our oldest daughter, is in the delivery room, and you're soon going to be grandparents for the first time. I Immediately called Ella May, who was in another part of the room, told her what was going on. She said, let's go. Let's go right now. I said, I can't go right now, but let me just clean up a few things here on my desk, and then I'll go. No, she said, if you're not going right now, I am. And a few minutes later, I saw her about to become a grandma running out the front door and headed toward her car. I cleared my desk with one sweep and went running after her and said, wait up, babe. I'm going too. So we jumped in the car and we drove down Interstate 69 to Indianapolis to the hospital, maybe in about an hour and a half away. And we're sitting in this little room with a bunch of other soon-to-be grandparents. And all of a sudden, the doors of the delivery room burst open, and I saw this strange figure running up the hallway, had on a white hospital gown, a white hospital hat, and he's running. Like I'd never seen him run before. And I thought, well, that's my son-in-law. And he gets to the door, and he stops, and he looks right at us, and he said, it's a boy. And turned around and went on a dead run back into the delivery room. 
I said to Ella May, it's a boy. She said, it's a boy. We said to everybody else in the room, it's a boy. I mean, we were having this profound, deep conversation. What more needed to be said? It was a grandson. It was a boy. It was exciting. We have a lot of them now. In fact, we're now working on great-grandchildren. And they're exciting, just as exciting. But now, if years later, if that baby is still a baby, it becomes rather sad and distressing and disappointing. Something isn't right. Something isn't normal. And how sad it is, how tragic it is to see those in the church that have been in the church for years and they're still in the crib, they're still in the nursery, they're still crawling, they're still on the bottle, they still need to be coddled and burped and stroked and spoon-fed. Their growth has been stunted by the carnal mind. Carnality has stunted their growth. Carnality often produces sinful pride. Solomon said in Proverbs 13, 10, only by pride cometh contentions. Do you realize that the divisions, the cliques, the strife, the backbiting, the fusses that go on in the church all stem from carnal pride? It demands control. It says it's my way or the highway. And they'll pout and they'll withhold their tithe if they don't get their way. That was the conversation of the preacher's sons at Montepray's camp meeting before we found Jesus. All those people that would pout and withhold their tithe. All those people that made life miserable for our dads. You can attack just about anybody, but you don't want to attack a kid's mom or dad. And it was amazing to me as I look back on it now, how that was the overwhelming part of the conversation. Carnal pride. Carnality, it has to be in style, even if the style is immodest. And look, I don't care what you wear, but will you please just wear enough of it? It would make this world a much better place. But here's one of the things I've observed so much in recent years. Many people demonstrate their carnal pride through their kids. It's so important for them, for their kids, to be popular and to be in the in-group. And uh, Sunday morning, it's not Sunday school. It's wherever the soccer team's playing. And they'll be all over the country. And they'll scrape some dollars to send them to camp, but it's not youth camp. It'll be cheerleaders camp or maybe basketball camp or some other kind of camp. Anything but church. And they're playing with the eternal souls of their children. And there will be a bitter price to pay. That's the carnal mind. So I want you to think now for a few moments, if you will, about the cure, the solution for the carnal mind. Because here's the problem. You will end up with carnality in your heart, with a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Thank God there is a cure. There is a solution. There is deliverance from this inherited carnal disposition. 
The remedy is something I hope you've heard about. It's called entire sanctification. It's a second definite work of grace subsequent to regeneration. It's an act of God. When by faith a believer totally consecrates their will, their all to God, he then by faith cleanses their heart from that carnal disposition and gives them hearts that are clean and pure. The solution for the pollution, this carnal mind, is still God's sanctifying grace. This is one of the reasons Jesus left heaven and went to the cross so he could restore us to the image of God. And you won't walk with God very long until you're going to realize that that old hostility within you that wants to disobey God, when you'll realize this when you have to say no to self. When you realize there's something within you that still wants to rise up and say no to God and yes to your carnal self. My friend, as a born-again believer, you are in desperate need to experience this deeper cleansing. Have your heart cleansed from this anti-God disposition. And it's important that we understand that it is this self-centered, carnal disposition that's cleansed. And if it isn't cleansed, it will greatly stunt your growth as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, you can't mend it. You can't repair it. You can't educate it. You can't outgrow it. There's only one solution, that is you have to die. You have to be crucified with Christ. You must come to this place of an absolute, total abandonment of your all to the Lord and allow him then by faith to cleanse and purify your heart. Thank God there's a solution. We don't have to live with this anti-God disposition, but we can be set free. I was invited just a few years ago, while I was serving as general superintendent, to preach a, a holiness crusade upon the far west side of Cleveland. When I walked out on the platform the first night and looked over the crowd, there was, there was only two people in the building that I, that I knew. It was a pastor and his wife that had been responsible for getting me there. They were also graduates of Circleville Bible College, now Ohio Christian University. And um, they were sitting right down on the second row from the front. And sitting with them was a young lady, looked to be maybe her late 20s, not much more than 30. And I noticed how intently she listened. And every once in a while, I'd see her take some notes. I come back the next night, and, and you were to preach on holiness every night. So once again, I preached a message on a second work of grace. When I gave the invitation, she almost literally, she was right on the second row, but she almost literally knocked her pastor and his wife over, getting out of her seat. And it was only a few steps, but she ran and threw herself across the altar. Well, immediately her pastor and his wife came and knelt on either side of her, and there were others that came forward that night, and I prayed with different ones, and so I didn't have the opportunity of meeting her. But I noticed every night she was right there on the second row from the front, listening, just drinking everything in. And finally it was the last night, and I was standing back at my table 
and people were coming up and taking, getting things. And finally there was a break and nobody was there. She was there in the lobby of the church and she saw me just standing there. She took off like a, a beeline right toward me. She said, I've, I've wanted all week to have a moment to talk to you. She said, you will never know how life-changing this week has been. She said, I wasn't raised in the church. I wasn't raised in church. But she said, about a year ago, the boy that I was dating was active in church. And I went for the first time in my life, I went to church with him. And when they gave an invitation, I went forward and I shook the hand of the preacher. And she said, he said to me, if you really mean business, you'll be here Wednesday night where we'll be having a class for new converts. She said, that was like music to my ears. And she said, I was there in the new converts class on Wednesday night. She said, the pastor stood before us. And one of the first things he said to these brand new converts, don't put your expectations too high. Don't expect to have too much victory. Don't expect that you'll be able to live without sin. Because more than likely, you're bound to sin a little bit most every day of your life. This is what this young lady said to me. It literally broke my heart. She said, I was sick of sin. I was sick of the world. I was sick of the way I'd been living. I didn't want to go back to that old life. I didn't want to face that as a possibility. And she said, my heart was broken. She said, finally, she and her boyfriend broke up. And she said, just two weeks ago, I met this pastor and his wife and they invited me to this crusade. She said, the first night when you preached on the possibility of living a holy life, that God could set us free from sinful habits and addictions, and that he could enable us and empower us to live victoriously and triumphantly, she said, it was like music in my ears. And she said, the next night, she said, I couldn't wait to get the eye. I said, yeah, I noticed. I said, you almost knocked your pastor and his wife over. She said, I couldn't wait to get there. I was so hungry to experience this. And she said, sir, you will never know what this week has meant to me. Now, she said, when I wake up in the morning, I'm not worried about what sin I'm going to commit today. Now, she said, when I wake up in the morning, I think by the grace of God, it's possible. I can live victoriously. I can resist temptation, and I can live a holy life. And she rejoiced. I said, she said, thank you for coming. I said, thank you for that testimony. I will never forget that testimony. And I want to tell you tonight... We serve a God who can do exceeding, abundant, above that, which you can even ask or think. This business of holiness, sometimes we, we do put it too high, but I'm afraid more often we put it too low. And we serve a God who's able to keep us. It was over 65 years ago. But I said the big yes to God. And I've never looked back or thought back or regretted it. Most incredible moment in my life. 
And I remember the last time my father gave me his testimony. He said, son, it was 65 years ago. I said yes to God. And he said he's kept me in unbroken fellowship for 65 years. You say, what a man. No, what a God. What a God who can reach down into this poor, lost world and pick up poor, lost, guilty, hell-deserving sinners and so transform them that they could live five minutes above willful known sin, let alone 65 years. I just wonder, is there somebody here tonight? You say, I need something more. I'm hungry for something more. Mark, if you and Goldie could come. I want us to sing that great invitation hymn, Whiter Than Snow. Yes, Whiter Than Snow. Lord Jesus, I long to be perfectly whole. I want you forever to live in my soul. Break down every idol, cast out every foe. Now wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. I think most of you know the blessing of heart purity. And you can rejoice with me and with my friend. And if you don't have that victory, I'm going to ask you to stand. Let's all stand. And as Mark leads us, this altar is open. This is your opportunity. You can just step forward and come. There'll be godly people here to pray with you and to help you into the blessing. Let's mind him now as Mark leads us in singing. Lord Jesus, I long yes. Perfectly whole. Yes, I want, I want you forever, forever to live in my soul. Live in my soul. Every eye. Cast out every fall. Now wash me. And I shall be whiter. Whiter. Sing it together. Whiter than snow. Yes, whiter than snow. Now wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. I heard a man say one night after having preached a powerful sermon at Mount of Praise camp meeting on a second work of grace. He looked at that crowd and he said, if you can wait, you'll have to wait. Because he said, what I've preached tonight, you'll have to want this more than life itself. You'll have to want this with all of your heart. And you will need to be in a place where you think, I just can't wait any longer. I need this blessing. I need this victory. I need this cleansing. I need this infilling. There's anybody here like that tonight? Let's sing that one more time together, Lord Mark. Will you come? I Will you come as we pray? Say, long to be perfectly whole. I want thee forever. Forever. Live in my soul. Break down, Break down every, every idol. idol. Cast, Cast out every foe. Singing the chorus together now. Whiter than snow. Yes, whiter than snow. 
that I give a lengthy invitation after preaching on a second work of grace because I feel like if, if you've had light on the subject and you've really been saved and you really love Jesus, you're going to want everything he has for you and you won't have to be begged and coerced and manipulated and I couldn't do that even if I wanted to anyway. This is a matter of free will, free choice. With our heads bowed for just a moment, Without any more singing, let me just briefly extend this and say if there's anybody here yet that wants to come. Here's the, here's the wonderful thing about the true church. Those people whose growth has been stunted, we still love them. We care for them. They've hurt us. They've hurt a lot of people. But it doesn't change the fact God loves them. And we love them. And we pray for you tonight. If you're not where you ought to be, that you'll come and seek his face. Let me just say a word. I've not said anything yet, but I do have a table over there, and I want to mention it. And God bless you. Somebody come down and pray with this young man. Let me just say that there's a lot of literature over there that's free and uh, doesn't have a price on it. Anything like that you can take. A lot of stuff about World Gospel Mission. Some things about Avon Park Holiness Camp Meeting the first week in February. You people love camp meeting. Come on down to Florida in February. There's no snow. And it's beautiful weather. And we'd love to have you come. He won't be with us this year, but next year, Mark Smith, Mark Murphy, will be there to sing for us. And I know you won't want to miss it. So just be aware of those things there and Mark, Mark's a phenomenal photographer. He, his pictures win prizes all the time. So you might want to avail yourself of something there. Father, I thank you for this young man who kneels here tonight. He knows the word. He's heard the word taught and preached. And he kneels here tonight because he has a hunger in his heart. It's a hunger that your spirit put there. And your spirit can satisfy the hunger of his soul. You can meet the need in this moment. So, Lord, help him in this moment to come to a place of an absolute, unconditional, total abandonment of his will, of his awe, his hopes, his dreams, his ambitions, his goals, all at the foot of the cross where you can take the sacrifice and cleanse it and fill it and empower him to live a holy life. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing right now, for the work that you're doing in the hearts of people across the country that are watching by live stream. We're thankful for the reports of those who have knelt either in another church someplace or there in their homes and have sought the face of God. Give them victory, Lord. And prepare our hearts for the closing two services of this camp. We'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. Joe, you wish to say anything in closing? God bless you as you go. Amen. Yeah.